Welcome to Drinking with Authors. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the amazing Mark Muncy from Erie Travels. And our hi, guest... I'm doing sorry. this spiel, Mark. You've already oh, heard me. I was, was going to say hi just there. I'm Fine. I'm continuing on. I'm moving along. No, just kidding. <laughs> and our guest today is Howard Andrew Jones. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hello, everybody. So let's talk a little bit about what we're drinking. I am drinking, um, and of course, I do not remember the name of this because now it's my second glass, but it is a wine from a Pennsylvania vineyard that's called Half and Half. So it looks like light red if you're watching our YouTube, and but it's half white, half red wine, and it's very, very yummy, and you, you drink it chilled. Um, Mark, what boring thing are you drinking tonight? Oh, my boring thing tonight is a classic apple cider from our wonderful new friends at the local uh, orchard that I forgot the name of. So. Awesome. Good job. We're doing great tonight. Way to promote. I'm, I'm rocking tonight, gang. I apologize. That's okay. We're good. Okay, Howard, what are you drinking? Well, out of a um, out of an elephant mug that I'm drinking out of because I've always admired Hannibal Burka, uh, I am drinking... <laughs> Dole orange peach mango juice, but that is such a mouthful. My kids and I just call it Tranya because it, right? Uh, because it's about the same color as the Tranya from a Corbamite maneuver, and it's um refreshing and delicious. So we even write that on the grocery list. Hey, get some Tranya, and so we get the orange peach mango juice. I, I, I love I, that Clint Howard at comic book conventions often signs pictures of himself as a what an infant, you know, in that Star <laughs> Trek episode. And it's like, wow, that's you're still signing that 90 years later. <laughs> hey, if they're gonna pay, I'll sign anything. Hey, that's you know, that's the way it works, you know, absolutely. Um, okay, so 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 Howard, for those that may not know you, what do you write? Well, I have a new sword and sorcery series that launched from Bain this year. And uh, uh, the first two books came out and uh, God willing, I'll be turning the third over here any week. Uh, that's, that's exciting. That yeah. is very exciting. So um, let's go back. We like to go in a time travel machine to when your writing this started. When did, where did it begin? Writing this or when the writing career started? No, the career. That's why I said oh, we're Lord. going back in time because writing yeah. this, we're not going too far back. But I guess the first professional sale was probably a couple of decades ago for some small press magazines. Um, and then I started getting published in Blackgate and uh, Paradox. It was an old historical fiction magazine that was great and unfortunately didn't last as long as it should have. Um, the first novel series was through St. Martin's and that was, I guess, in 2011. Uh, and I had uh, some Arabian historical fantasy through them. It was kind of like uh, Sherlock Holmes crossed with the Arabian Nights. I had two for them. And then I did some Pathfinder novels. And I did another uh, sort of a, well, they called it epic fantasy, but it was really more Zelazny style heroic fantasy. That was the, uh, I did a trilogy for St. Martin's there before I uh, came to Bane with my new sword and sorcery thing. Very cool. So you said all the things that Mark absolutely adores. That was <laughs> I was excited for this episode. That's why I was so sad that I was having so many technical difficulties. I'm like, yay, we made it. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, the Pathfinder series uh, that you wrote were fantastic. So, oh, and, well, thank uh, you. And I have picked up 
uh, Lord of a Shattered Land, but I haven't. It's on the TBR pile, which if I pan the camera, you don't want to know. How <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that that series as well. So. Oh, I don't think pile's the appropriate word for what your TBR. Yeah, so it's kind of kind of pile, kind of pile. <laughs> Several well, piles. Several I'm at piles. the basement, so the only pile over here is a copy of review copies of uh, City of Marble and Blood, the sequel. There's like I don't know what seven of them. One of them's backwards. Hang on. There. That's more exciting, I guess. There you go. There yeah. we go. Done, yeah. done. <laughs> Makes all the difference. Yeah. Every few days, I'll say that another one to someone who I want to review it. That's how it works. Eventually, some of my relatives will get one. Do, do, do they review? <laughs> we always talk about that on this show. It's like <laughs> your friends and your family are the people that, you know, you you give stuff to and are like, yay, this is so great, but probably never read your stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, my wife is is my best um, my best editor that I work with. She's awesome, and my son gives awesome feedback as well. So they're closely involved in it, um, and with all the alpha and beta readings, they're probably just as sick of it by 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 the finish that they may never crack it open again. I mean, once once it's in physical form, I don't know if they've read it because they've read it so many times. Yeah. And my daughter's just too busy. She's a she's a medical student who. Uh, works part-time as an EMT. So she's constantly doing medical stuff. So if she's well, reading something, it's probably about, you know, curing bodily injury in, in some way. No, total. And that's important. We appreciate her for that. <laughs> a, so a bit. Yeah. Yeah. We would like people who are going to treat us to maybe read about that versus. <laughs> yeah. How yeah, do you kill an orc? You know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> you know, or you know, orc and dragon physiology could be translated to yeah. Um, no, and I've told you that several times. <laughs> I don't know why I have to keep telling you that, but that's not a thing. Um, so, what made you even go down this route, though, of of writing books? What or and even before that, when you were writing for the magazine, what made you go? You know what? I want to be a writer. You know. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I guess I've always loved storytelling and I could never not tell stories. And, and when people when people come up to me and say that they really want to be a writer, I say, well, make sure that you are in love with telling stories because otherwise it's a colossal pain in the butt. It's very hard to get in. It's very hard to earn a living. Uh, so make sure that you love, If you, unless you can't picture not telling stories, then maybe you should do something that will be more financially successful and will bring you greater joy and won't drive your family insane. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can't not tell stories. I'm always thinking about story. And I, I came to realize eventually, even the games I was playing were about developing the story. Even if I'm sitting down playing a tactical board game, and I have a lot of those, um, it's really about seeing how the story unfolds. If this happens or this other thing happens, what, what, what will occur? And so here I am. I've been doing it for ages now. So the you've talked about like publishers, right? Some are mid and stuff like that. Publishers. Have you ever looked at going the um, self-publishing route or is that not something you want to get into or? Well, you know what? I was so excited by this series, um, the new one. When I was shopping it around, um, I wanted to try a different publisher from St. Martin's. Um, and so I was shopping it around and I'm so excited 
by the concept. I was like, if I can't find someone to take it, then I'm just going to go the self-published route. Thankfully, my first choice did end up taking it. Uh, but I was I, I have such faith in it um, that even though it's a little bit it's a little bit of an outlier as far as modern fantasy, uh, I believed in it so strongly. I just wanted to keep going on it, and I would have published it myself. That's very cool. So what what's coming on the tail of that? Because it sounds like you have trifectas, three three parters, correct? No, it's uh, it's a. Uh, I signed on for five, and I'm honestly hoping oh! I can get to oh, two more. Yeah, sure. yeah, that is awesome. Well, then that's what you'll be doing there. <laughs> that is that is what I'm doing, and I've never had more fun writing. I mean, maybe when I was uh, when I was young and um, didn't know as much what I was doing, I've never had as much fun writing and been capable of doing what I, <laughs> I, I, I I'm stumbling. I haven't had as much fun since I figured out uh, better how to write, and I'm still I'm still trying to get better. It's not like I've arrived, but um, yeah, it feels great. I feel like I'm doing the best work of my life, and I'm having just an incredible amount of fun with it. So hopefully, that's on the page for the reader to see as well. Well, I've been I'm, I'm... I've been enjoying this re um, introduction of like sword and sorcery is finally coming back to a forefront. Because it went super high fantasy for so long, and um, and to see your new series, where uh, you know you had a blurb on the cover, I think was uh, David Drake, you know, you know, just just sadly passed, but uh, you know he had a whole thing talking about that you were, you know, Robert Howard, you know, uh, I think was the the quote was something about you and Robert, you know, brought him back to Robert Howard thinking, and that was my thoughts as well, reading some of your old Pathfinder stuff. So, oh wow. So I'm super excited to read this series. I'm sorry, I'm fanboying here. But no, I was no, going to no, say, Mark, fanboy. I knew that was going to yeah. happen, but no, I know I was trying to save it till after you know we got into other stuff. But managed to wait was, ten minutes. That's all I'm going to say. Ten minutes. I That's tried. how far you got in. I tried, <laughs> but uh, so let's say what what were some of your early influences? You know the earliest. Um, the earliest influence was probably the original Star Trek, which I was watching when I was four or five as the coolest, the coolest thing on TV. Maybe Doctor Who was out there somewhere, but I didn't get it. I did. I was not aware of that for a decade or more in my little corner of Indiana. And we'd occasionally catch the Twilight Zone. But um, yeah, so that when I was a kid. But as far as fantasy, um, the first really cool fantasy I read on my own would have to have been the original Chronicles of Amber and what I still think is the best of the Liber Fofford and Grey Mouser collections, which is Swords Against Death. And that those those impressed me so much. I had mostly been reading um, space opera and uh, like Heinlein juveniles and stuff like that. And um, at that point, I kind of switched over and just began seeking out uh, I turned to Michael Moorcock. I tried to find Robert E. Howard, but at the time he was out of print. Um, all I could find were the Conan knockoffs, the the clonins. So I didn't actually read Robert E. Howard, who became one of my favorite writers until much later. But I was reading Lee Brackett. My one of my sisters turned me on to Lee Brackett. Uh, all the Rogers Lazing I could get my hands on. A whole bunch of really cool historical swashbucklers, uh, like I uh, like the Hornblower series, uh, Zorro, um, Three Musketeers. Um, so that's, that's where I started. Yeah. Okay. So we have to ask this because we have another podcast here. He travels and we just did for, 
October, Robert Zelazny's A Night in the Lonesome October. Oh, that's my favorite of his later of his later books. I yeah. loaned I loaned a really nice copy of that out, and I never got it back. I need, <laughs> I, I need to go buy another copy of that. I really yeah. like that one. If I turn the camera this way, I have like 15 copies of it because I hoard it. Because it <laughs> is so it still often. available somewhere? Can can yeah, I still? Yeah, Penguin has it now. It's the Penguin Classic. But oh, it, is, uh, it is hard to get, especially around October. So I buy it whenever I see it throughout the year. And then <laughs> gone. And I'm like, oh, hey, you haven't read it? Here, here here's a copy. Here's a copy. Here's a copy. It's, it's just so I, I got to read it for the first time. But I was doing, you made me read it chapter by chapter, day by day. And then give what I thought of the chapter on, on our social media for other podcasts. So that was. Yeah, Zelazny is one of my favorites. And the whole, um, I guess, uh, Stephen Colbert owns the rights now. He bought the whole Amber collection. Did he? Wow. For, uh, yeah. So I, I keep hearing rumblings a... from time to time. There'd be like a mini series, of, yeah. at least of the original. I'm not as huge a fan of the, the second series, but I no. love that first OG. One. Yeah. yeah, that OG. When I was a kid, that was everybody was Narnia, Lord of the Rings. I was Amber. I was yeah, Amber. yeah. I read that over and over and over. I loved Benedict and Corwin. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that, yeah. that that uh, that trilogy I wrote for um, uh, starts with uh, for the killing of kings. That's kind of a love letter to uh, it, the Chronicles of Amber. And, read uh, very similarly, so I could and, see that. I was, I was, I was going to bring that up. I was like, I really felt Zelazny. That's great. <laughs> that's when you said that right off the bat, I was like, I'm happy, yo. <laughs> I would ask what your fans are like, but apparently we just need to let Mark keep talking, and then we'll see. No, just wow. all right. I'm done. I'm done. Okay, uh, that is not accurate. I know you very well. That's not. You're gonna. I'm gonna ask two questions, and Mark's gonna be like, ah, back in again. So. Um, let's talk when you first started publishing. So you first did it in magazines. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, yes. And what was that like versus writing novels? Because we, you know, we have a lot of different writers and stuff like that listening. And I think it's really interesting when you have different ways that you're writing and telling stories. So what was the difference with the uh, magazines? Well, I guess I should say, first off, I grew up under the impression, a faulty one, um, that what you needed to do to land a publishing deal was to break in through the magazines, and then you would uh, get a book deal. Um, and that's what I grew up learning, because I was reading older writers, and that's what they had done. But even in the time that I was doing this, in the, in the 90s, uh, the 80s and the 90s, um, that that model was just about gone anyway, unless unless you like win the Campbell Award or something, right? Yeah. Um, so I was working under that paradigm, but I also grew up reading uh, a lot of short story collections. You know, I, I loved, I also loved Harold Lamb. Uh, I spent a lot of time um, getting his stuff back into print. And those were, those are connected short stories. The Conan stuff, once I finally found that, a lot of short stories, Lee Brackett, of course, Fofford and the Grey Mouse, a whole lot of Elric stuff, et cetera, et cetera, short stories. And I love these short historical fiction, uh, historical fiction and uh, sword and sorcery tales. And so, of course, I was drawn to the short story format. But when it came to writing novels, um, it's a slightly different muscle, clearly. I, you I tell people to, that all the time. Yeah. You have to practice both. If you're going to, <laughs> you, you can craft as much short story as you want, but if you're going to craft a novel, you have to practice crafting a novel. 
Um, it's the pacing, true. the planning. Yeah, sorry. No, it, no, totally fine. I think it's interesting because I tell people who want to just write a novel, I'm like, you should be able to craft a short story of almost any size, right? And then that tells you you can tell a story because a lot of, to me, what short stories are is um, usually a scene or a couple scenes, depending on how big the short story is, right? But it's only a piece. And then you have to whittle down the amount of exposition in that piece, ergo making a short story, because you can't spend, you know, four pages describing a tree because you don't have four pages to describe a tree. Tolkien. Um, so you, it's, it's something to practice. I, you know what I get it. A lot of people, and I, I know a lot of people appreciate Tolkien. What I think is interesting is how many of them appreciate him literary from a literary standpoint versus how many appreciate like the movies and the TV show and stuff like that. That's been done because they're very different things. Everyone very different. Um, but I think it's interesting when you start off doing short story, did you find it difficult to then go bam and do a, a, a novel? Yeah. I mean, all writing is difficult. Uh, <laughs> you have to find, you have to practice the moments. Um, I mean, there's a point at which you write enough, enough short stories and you begin to realize, okay, if I'm writing a short story of about seven or 8,000 words, I only have enough room to introduce this many characters. I only have enough or, or otherwise they're going to get short shrift. I only, by this point, I need to introduce, um, if you're writing a mystery at this point, I need to introduce this fact at this point, I need to be introducing the suspects, et cetera, et cetera. Practice, uh, teaches you these things. It doesn't matter how much book learning you do on on studying it. You have to get your hands dirty and go in and just start doing it. So I had a huge stack of rejected novels before I finally landed a book deal uh, because it took me a while to figure it out. Sometimes I think I'm like I'm the slowest study uh, I know, but I'm too stubborn to stop. Well, you know, Whoops. and it's interesting you say that because I think when you um, – probably when you were looking at doing this, because if it was 2011, that was just truly the start of what is now self-publishing, right? Right around that time period is the start where there are few pioneers into the realm of we're going to self-publish, we're going to do create space, we're going to do it this way, right? It it was not still not popular. It was nowhere near as popular as it is today, right? And a lot, it was still the thought that if you're doing that, it's because you suck and can't get a publishing contract, right? That is a terrible thought, but that was the mentality of anybody sure. who self-published for the longest time, right? Right. So it's interesting you talk about that because with self-publishing, um, authors don't necessarily have to go through that situation of having several novels rejected because then they just publish them themselves. That's right. true. I'm certainly glad that mine were rejected because I look back on them now and I see that they're dreadful. So, you know, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for rejecting those. Right. Do you ever think about this? I asked this because Charles Gannon, we love Charles Gannon. He's been on the show a couple of times. And one of the things he did with his fantasy series that he did is he picked up a book he had started writing when he was 14. And obviously it's not the same book at all. But he loved the concept so much and loved the characters that he picked it up, sort of dusted it off, pulled out the pieces that he wanted to do and created his fantasy realm that he's written, right? 
Do you ever look at going back to any of those novels for any of the parts that you were, you know, that were so, you know, I want to say in love with, but parts that you really, really loved about those books that maybe you could rekindle? So I've already done that. With the second two Pathfinder novels, I went back and I stole characters and concepts I had for an original world, and then I turned it into sort of a more pathfindery thing. And then the uh, uh, many of the characters who appeared in the Ringsworn trilogy for St. Martin's were ripped off of uh, my got of work I was working on all through my 20s uh, and couldn't do anything with. Uh, so I came back and I, I took the parts that I liked and did something better than I could do when I was younger with it. But there's nothing else that I want to go back and do. Uh, no, I mean, if you did yeah. that, I think it's great. I talk to authors sometimes and they they shelve a book or whatever, whether it got rejected, they got stuck, whatever. And I always go, you can have a graveyard. I, I mean, I think all good authors, for the most part, have a story graveyard. You know, some of the graveyards are way bigger than other graveyards, but, you know, some are just like a little family cemetery and then some of them could house the entire New York City. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think if there's a concept that you liked about the story, once you level up and I think as writers and I see this even looking at some of the people like Stephen King and people who've been around and, you know, written a crap ton of novels, you're always leveling up as a writer you're never going to get to that final level of being a writer, right? Because you're always getting better than you were before. And so I think if you have to something that's back there, I always tell authors, go back and find it. You know, don't don't try to rewrite the book. Just pull the pieces you like and write another book with it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, because don't you can admire admire yourself in many, many bad situations if you try to rewrite that first novel. Yeah. Ar Arnold Awesome Laser may not live yet. But... <laughs> it was a dark, stormy night. Hey, when you're 13, Arnold Awesome Laser was my favorite character that I made. So, <laughs> so now you've got a gaming background. You've already talked war gaming. You've talked all of this. What are, uh, you know, and you've written for Pathfinder. So what, what, what was your gateway drug? for uh for board games or role-playing games oh gosh well the first the so i grew up in the 70s and it was dungeons and dragons and it was advanced dungeons and dragons uh none of my friends had the the basic stuff i got introduced um to the deep end uh and, and it's a shame because now that i've gone back as an older man uh and seen some of the basic stuff it, there was some really good stuff there i'm sorry that i Anyway, so it was advanced D&D, &D, and it was that appendix in at the back of the Dungeon Master's Guide that launched my search into um, so many cool things. That's why I went to the library and the bookstore to try and find the authors. And unfortunately, the library had almost no one except for Zelazny. And guess what? The first few books were checked out, so I had to wait for that. And uh, <laughs> and then the, uh, the used bookstore had library, but it didn't have Robert E. Howard, and it didn't have, didn't have nearly anyone on that list except for Moorcock and Liber. So they were the only yeah. two in print at that time. And growing up in the Midwest in the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, I know exactly. It's, uh, <laughs> it was, a, it was a waste, which is why I hoard books now. I'm like, I'm never, ever going to yeah. without a, a fantasy book at the reach. So now we didn't stay with uh, D and D more than a few years. We started trying other systems. I mean, there was traveler and there was a, uh, 
I could I could go on and on. We we did all kinds of different gaming. Um, we we really loved Star Trek the role playing game that the old FASA. FASA, yeah, yeah. The the rule system was so streamlined on that that um, once you rolled up your character, we never really cracked open a rule book. It was it was all about creating the story, and it really allowed you to simulate a feel of an episode. So that was um, that was pretty nice. Um, as far as the war gaming. I was so heavily into the role-playing aspect of it. Um, I always preferred to do that. I didn't come into wargaming until much later in life, probably in my um, late thirties. Uh, and I, I actually do that more now than the role-playing role-playing is such an, I usually ended up as the game master, such a time investment and in creative energy. All of my creative energy now is going into the writing. So if I'm going to be gaming these days, I'm usually setting up, I have a whole bunch of, we're sort of in a golden age of solitaire war games as it happens. And so I have a number that are either purposely designed solitaire or can be played um, two-handed solitaire, so to speak. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's interesting. So um, I played uh, the basic kit and I played Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and I colored in the dice with the crayons. I'm very excited about that. That's where I get my street cred as a nerd because... I could parry the fireball with the mage. Barbarian. <laughs> um, I missed some of those rules. Um, uh, what's interesting to me is what about your, I mean, you wrote Pathfinder novels, but do you ever think of taking, and maybe you're already working on this and I'm asking, but your worlds and making them into game settings? Um, there may be something underway with the Hanavar books, but I'm, I don't think I can discuss that yet. Um, so okay. that may or may not, there may, may or may not be something happening there as yeah. for other stuff. Uh, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be personally doing it. Um, I am not a rules junkie. Um, as a matter of fact, um, I really loved the guys at Pathfinder, but I'm not actually, a um, I'm not actually a Pathfinder player very much. It's too rules intensive. Uh, so I, I like I like rules light systems anymore. The the faster I can get to the story and the less time I spend bend over bent over a rule book when I am running, um, those are the games I prefer these days. So see, you're not a fan of GURPS. I'm not a fan of GURPS. <laughs> I love their historical source books. I used to have a massive collection of those. I still have I still retained a couple of my favorites. Yeah, no, oh, I have many words about GURPS, but uh, I'm not going to take up an episode discussing them. But with that, we have to take a quick break. So we will be right back with Howard. Hey, listeners, you know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo, Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. Okay, we're back, we're back. So um, before we get to the literary brief rapid fire questions, um, 
I'm curious. So you have these five books. Where did the idea for this series come from? Where do you get inspired from? Uh, this one, I've been fascinated with um, Hannibal of Carthage, not the guy who, not the Hannibal who unfortunately is famous for carving people up and eating them, but the great military general. So, yes. Yeah. So fascinated with him since I was about 16. And this is uh, heavily inspired by a big what if. Carthage was finally destroyed 50 years after his death in the Third Punic War. Um, he spent most of his life trying to stop the Romans. Unlike a lot of the great uh, conquerors, he didn't uh, invade Italy to take the territory and expand it that way. He was basically trying to stop the uh, the growth of Roman power to bring them to a standstill to get better terms so that his people would endure. He feared that his people would be destroyed if Rome uh, continued to grow. And it turns out he was right. Um, so th the big what if is what would Hannibal have done if the Romans destroyed Carthage during his lifetime and he wasn't there? And uh, I can give you the pitch if you'd like. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Please. So, all right. all right. So, when the Dervins came for the people of Volanus, they fought block by block, house by house, until most of them fell with their swords in hand. Only around a thousand survived to be led away in chains. So complete was the Dervin destruction that they sowed the ground with salt. They set fire to the temples. They looted the treasuries. The victory seemed complete, except for one small detail that they had overlooked. The greatest Volani general had escaped alive. And now, alone against a vast empire, Hanavar has only an aging sword arm, a lifetime of wisdom, and the greatest military mind in the world bent upon a single goal. No matter where his people have been taken, from the furthest outpost of the empire to its rotten heart, he will find them. Every last one of them. And he will set them free. Wow. Well, yeah, like no, so that's Pills, love it, love it, love so it. That's think. that's the that's the series. As a history buff, that's always great. I, I always I always thought he was such a great character, and then the you know the whole missing legion. Uh, the, sure, the yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, Augustus's yeah, legions, yeah. Augustus's legions. That's those are the two my two favorite bits from that era, and it's like somebody's got to do stuff with this. And of course, everybody has, that's always the, the time traveling centurions and all that. So sure, is, yeah. Yeah. So this and is, when this. I had, when I had that idea for uh, what if with, with Hannibal, I, I was like, Oh, it's such a cool idea. I can't believe no one's done it. Surely someone's done it, but it didn't seem like anyone had done it. So I'm like, okay, I'm getting, I'm jumping on this. Cause I've, I've been reading about Hannibal in the second Punic War since I was 16. I have a big library of books about him, not knowing that all this time I'd been researching the background for a historical fantasy. You know, mine's a secondary world and there's monsters and there's magic and um, things that man should not know. Right. Wow. But um, uh, yeah, it's, it has an ancient Mediterranean feel rather than the typical medieval fantasy vibe to it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Can't wait. It's, it's going to move up a couple notches on the list next. <laughs> Mark's like, and this is moving to the top. And then Mark's ghost that moves books around in his house is going to be we'll like, yeah. Yeah, it's going to move like, him back. And they're like, no, no, you got to read this one first. I should show you, you know, the, the cover of book oh. two there. That's that's pretty clearly. Uh, oh, well, there you go. Yeah. There. yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I love it. It's like, that's gorgeous. That's awesome. That's the work of Dave Seeley. Uh, of course. 
Yeah. Of course. Nice big spine there. My uh, my son was hired to do the maps on the insides, and I don't think it'll be. I don't know that it will turn out very well here, but I guess I could try to show that. It was really. Oh pleased. wow! Oh, very really. cool. Yeah. Wow! Yeah. Well, that's, that's the map in book two. Book one is a uh, more of a zoom out of the uh, the eastern half of the not Mediterranean. Wow. Very cool. So um, if you did the five books, I'm assuming you have them all mapped out. I've got them. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've got a lot of it detailed. Um, the further out we are from me in book three, there's some things that I haven't completely worked out, but yeah, I, I know where I want it to end. I know where it's going. I know who the major villains and issues are. Do you um, ever have your story take you differently? I know a lot of authors will say their characters take them differently. And some authors have a story take them differently. Um, do you ever have that where you, because I do the same thing. Like I, when I'm writing, I'm like, I know where I want the story to end and I know where I want it to start. And it's usually kind of going in both directions, the other way to go, this is where it's going. But I find every now and then I get a brilliant idea and it doesn't necessarily change the ending, but it does change the path that everybody's going to the ending. Well, absolutely. I mean, that that happens from time to time. These novels, um, the, each one is more like a season of television uh, so that there's individual episodes that build one upon the other and then build toward a climax. And each one can stand alone until you get to the season finale. Each one can stand alone. Um, and so if there's one that's not quite working or going in a different direction, um, it's easier for me to remove it than if I'm having that problem with a uh, with the middle of a novel, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that definitely happens. But I, I outline very carefully. I kind of do my exploratory outlining as exploratory writing as I'm doing a detailed outline. And so if something's not working, I pretty much know the only surprises are if I give it to an alpha or beta reader and it's like, wow, this this whole this whole thread here, <laughs> it doesn't work. And so then then I may have to uh, make some drastic changes. So let's let's talk about your process a little bit. And as far as, you know, you said your amazing wife is your editor and your son does the reading for you and stuff like that. Um, how much do your beta readers play into what's going on? And at what point do you engage them in the book? Um, you know, that's always a bit of a battle. Uh, I don't like anyone to see my terrible uh scaffolding drafts uh, they probably couldn't read my handwriting anyway i tend to do the scaffolding drafts in in longhand um i've been experimenting a little bit on the most recent book with trying to show my wife the earlier drafts uh that they're pretty rough they almost read like a bad screenplay where it's dialogue and some stage directions um but i don't know how successful th that really is so i i want to get it at least with a light polish um before i before I show it around. And then uh, the dialogue is super important to me. So I put a whole lot of effort into making sure the dialogue is working so that it sounds distinctive and the characters are um, knowable through their dialogue before I bother with too much else, unless, unless I get some really vivid scene and then I'll, then I'll write it down. But um, so, yeah, my alpha and beta readers are very important to me. I've got a, a a few a few friends I've accumulated over the years whose opinions I really trust, and then I've got my I've got these two members of my family whom I trust, and uh, I run everything past them uh, to look for the rough edges and, and the parts where I've stepped on a rake and didn't notice, and then uh, and then I keep honing and 
and I edit again and again and again and read it out loud multiple times. So what is your, um, I feel all of us as writers have Achilles heels stuff that we do. And sometimes it's a whole new thing. Every single book we write, we have this new weird thing that we do that our editor, our beta readers is like, Hey, so fun story. Maybe stop doing this thing. What are, do you have a thing or do you have changing things that your editor comes back to you and goes, you've got to stop saying the word realized. That's mine. So I can. There's always a, there's always some new words, right? Every, every book you discover that there's a, a new word or a couple of words that you're using too much. Um, I, I think, so I grew up with the original Star Trek um, and the original conception of Kirk had a huge influence on me not not the modern memory of him where he's this skirt chasing blowhard but the man of honor who's incredibly earnest and who would do anything for his friends and believes in the service but there's an earnestness to him and i think sometimes my own writing has a little too much of this purple earnestness to it you know kirk could give some great speeches and i think sometimes i might i might lean into that a little too hard uh i i one of the sections I'm polishing in book three, um, my wife just took me to task. She says, uh, this sounds really Star Trek right here. I'm like, well, is that a bad thing? She says, she says, she says it really sounds Star Trek here. You probably want to dial that down a little bit. <laughs> well, and, I, and I couldn't hear it because it's too internalized. But, I, you know, on stepping back, I'm like, okay, I, I think she's right. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's excuse me. Wow. I think it's important that you have people around you that you can trust and you can take their feedback when they say things like that. Because I think as writers, we're so close to our stuff. I always think it's funny when I hear from people that are like, oh, yeah, no, I'm right. And I'm also my own editor. And I'm like, Ugh. oh, there's so many things wrong with that sentence. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably one writer in a million could do that. I mean, Max Brand could probably have done that. But that guy could uh, crank off 10,000 words in a day and they would be great words. Yeah. Um, he, he he was one in a million. So, <laughs> yeah. But I think and it's you important. You wouldn't say that. Yeah, you know, you'd just no. be like, I'm just doing my job. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's important. Okay, let's talk a little bit about fans, and then we're going to do some rapid-fire questions. So get prepared, Mark, rapid-fire questions. You don't get to talk fans because I'm already done with your fan. I already did my fanboying. I'm good. Yes. I so I want to know for you what it was like the first time you signed one of your books to somebody well, it was it was pretty cool. I th I think the memory that stands out more is is an early convention I was standing at, uh, standing, uh, and God, who was I standing next? I was standing to a fairly well known writer I was acquainted with, and we were talking. And I see someone waiting to speak, and I assume they want to speak to the famous writer. So I step to one side. Keep in mind, Desert of Souls has only been out like a month, and the person follows me. I'm like, well, that's strange. And then she says, hey, I wanted to tell you how much I love Desert of Souls. And that just blew my mind. That was that was lovely. So I remember that more than the than the first signing, to be perfectly honest. And then what are your fans generally like for you? Do you get to go to convention? I mean, I know we had the COVID period, which stopped life for a while. But uh, outside of that, do you like going to conventions? Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm. Uh... I'm a I'm a people person. I don't know that I'm like a, a a complete extrovert or anything, but I like getting out and socializing. Um it gives 
it's delightful to meet new people um, and talk about the things we love. So, yeah, I love I love interacting with fans. I, I you typically go to Gen Con, and now that I'm with Bane, I'm going to some uh, conventions where the Bane presence is is quite heavy. Um, I went to Dragon Con and Liberty Con last year for the first time, and I'll be going to both again this year. Um, yeah. Well, we'll see you hopefully this year. We were there last year. Yeah, we Me were and Mark here. unfortunately had to do like 12 panels over those days. So that's <laughs> literally all we were doing. Uh, yeah, do live podcasts and 12 panels. It was crazy. Is that yeah. uh, Dragon Con or Liberty Con you're talking Dragon about? Dragon Con. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was there this year, but I... I I just dipped my toe and I was only there for a couple of days and it, my God, it's overwhelming. But then I'm sure Gen Con was like that the first time too. And I know my way around now. So maybe I'll figure out Dragon Con too. Yeah, Gen Con, I haven't been back to since it was only in one little place. That was, oh my God. Time. That was in it's the a- early nineties. We, we all went to Gary's house afterwards. It was oh, like, well, wow. Yeah, this is great. You know, he's, oh, yeah, that's him awesome. And, him and Ernie Gygax are giving us the door of the place. And I was like, this is wow. great. And, then, and, now, and now I'm like, I can't imagine it now. That was it's huge. Uh, it's about the same size as Dragon Con. It's um, it's not spread out. The main parts in 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 the one central convention center. So I think it's a little easier to navigate than um, than I found Dragon Con. Yeah, our big one's uh, MegaCon in Orlando. That is insanity. It's it's is Dragon it? Con, but in one building. Oh and wow! It, yeah, it's nuts. Well, hundred thousand people a day. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say it's the a larger amount of humans, less real estate though. The one thing Dragon Con does that I haven't seen at least another con do is the real estate because they take so much. You know, five hotels, all of the convention parts of these five convention hotels. That's huge. But yes, you do have to know your way around, be able to time things, and not sign up for panels that are only a half an hour apart, which seems like a ton of time, but not in Dragon Con time. And right. Especially if you have to go to different hotels. Yeah. Oh, that was, yeah. yeah. That's what we did. I, we, we, it was just like, what hotel are we going to now? Yeah, Literally <laughs> up, up, the, up the hill, down the hill and across this street and then through the skywalk and then 12 floors up and you're there. Oh yeah. That was, 20 minutes ago, we were on the other side of town. Yeah, this is fun. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay, cool. You know what I think we should do? I think we should go into literary briefs. Yes. Rapid fire questions. They're not going to be that rapid. I finished my glass of wine. Here we go. Howard, <laughs> what is your favorite book of all time? Oh, my goodness. My favorite book of all time. It's probably The Curved Saber by Harold Lamb. Why? That book had such an impact on me. It has uh, shaped uh, a whole lot of what I've wanted to be as a writer and how I wanted to approach it. It uh, transported me. It was full of wonderful swashbuckling adventures that were interconnected um, and constantly surprised me with this uh, clever character uh, who is unconventional. He's an older older guy. yeah, it, it it was really an eye opener for me. I mean, there's I'm sure there's better written books that I love. I love um, Watership Down is oh, uh, probably yeah. peerless. But as far as my favorite book, it's probably still The Curved Saber. Hey, now least favorite. Least favorite. Least favorite. God, probably some of those terrible 
uh, I can't even remember the name of them. Some of those books that your uh, that your very small children want you to read over and over and over. <laughs> I actually, it was so funny. I read my kids this book called "But Not the Hippopotamus." It's a card book, you know, one of those short, like yeah, 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 yeah ten yeah. pages, yeah. and. They love this book and it's called, but not the hippopotamus. And it's all about, you know, all these animals are doing these things, but the hippo doesn't get invited until the very end. Um, and I have a grandbaby now who's here who loves that book. And it's so weird because literally I started reading it and I was like, I'm getting triggered. <laughs> it's been 25 years and i'm getting triggered <laughs> but not the hippopotamus um very cool so um if you could travel to any literary place where would you want to go any literary place you mean out of any, any literary place i don't care pick a world where would you want to go does it have to be like um uh the written word or are we talking any speculative fiction place it's your podcast. You go wherever you want to go. Where would I want to go? Well, I wouldn't mind going to Amber if I were one of the princes, but I don't think I'd want to hang out there if I wasn't uh, an Amberite myself. Although it was pretty cutthroat. Um, I don't know. Gosh, I always wanted to be a starship captain. That would be that would have been pretty cool. Um, yeah. But I feel I like know. an Enterprise captain because I feel like there's so many of those shows where they. I'm I'm loving Lower Decks, so I'm good with the lesser shows. See, I haven't been, I haven't caught up on any of the new stuff yet. And yeah, I'd want to be a, you know, they differentiated between spaceships and starship. A starship was one of the uh, the ships in the fleet. I guess there were thirteen of them. Um, So yeah, one one that wasn't destroyed that would be swell. I don't think they ever said who the captain of the Yorktown was. Maybe I could be. I love that. that. Mark, that have you thought is of some, some questions? That is some high quality Star Trek uh, fandom there. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh, let's see. Okay. So, we're doing that. Let's let's cast your cast your Amber show. Who would you cast? Oh, my God. Making the Amber movie. Who would you cast as uh, Corwin? I am terrible at any of these actor games. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I would say, why don't we do an animated series? That's there us. we go. Okay. Yeah. I'm good with that. Are let's have Bruce. Game? Let's have Bruce Tim design the animated series. Yes. Remember. Yeah. I'm in. Okay. He told me. Yeah. He told me. We'll get. Uh, well, I say we get Kevin Conroy, but he's not here. But I definitely uh, get. We definitely get. Uh, oh, uh, Clancy Brown to do one of the bad guys. So. Oh wow! Sure. Okay. But, okay. All right. Next question then. So for those who are not Zelazny fans and not Amber fans, we'll go a little more mainstream then. So. Uh, so you're you're definitely a trek, okay. So then the next question is: Deep Space Nine or Babylon Five? I I never watched. Uh, I've seen a couple of episodes of Deep Space that impressed the heck out of me. But I, I by that point, by that when that came around, I had small children, so uh, I didn't explore it deeply. And um, I've never gotten into Babylon Five. Maybe I should try harder. I keep right. hearing that it's really cool if you stick with it. So. But yeah, I, I keep hearing that about like, Wheel of Time too, and I've never managed that either. I I Wheel of Time is another one of those. That's when I kind of think it's like mm, maybe uh, it's a tough wheel to get into. But all right, so then we've got those two. Then let's go with the big one: Marvel or DC. Um, I'd have to say Marvel if we're talking movies. I had uh, there were a number of DC comics I used to read when I was a kid that I really dug. I was into Legion of Superheroes in the eighties when it was really good. Um, 
but you know, there's stuff I like in both, but as far as the movies uh, overall, the Marvel movies, the good ones are so much better than the slightly good DC movies. So. Yeah. No. Last one, D and D. What was your uh, favorite class and what was your favorite world? You know, we always did homebrew world, so we didn't get okay. to uh, explore many of the words. Uh, worlds. I always liked um, the split classes. Uh, I keep in mind I almost never got to play because I was almost always the game. You're guy. running the game, yeah. Yeah. When I, when I occasionally got to play, I liked uh, uh, fighter magic user. Nice. Yeah. Okay, um, Mark. I'm going to need to take the nerd level of this particular. Um, I just had to get out of my system again. Sorry. I'm just saying. I'm just what? What is happening? Okay, Howard, what about a weird food combination that you like that people always go, how are you eating that? Hmm. I like a lot of, um, I like, so I, I, I love Greek food. I love Indian food. I love Cuban food. I love Mexican food. Uh, I love Asian food. I love um I don't know that there's any weird combinations I like, but I have a I have a pretty wide palette of things that I dig. Um, people are usually surprised that I don't care for chocolate too much. I didn't even think I liked chocolate because I detect the bitter notes uh, until some um, uh, we had some German friends who gave me some German chocolate. And it's like, wow, okay, this is this I get. This is awesome. But uh, so much of the American chocolate now I get it uh, is kind of waxy and bitter to me. So uh, I guess I'm a chocolate snob and I never knew it until I had the, <laughs> until I had the really good stuff. I appreciate that fully because I will stock up when I'm in Europe and stuff with chocolate because I, I agree. I don't like, I, I'm not a Hershey bar fan. So, okay. Fans out there go crazy, but I hate <laughs> those kind of chocolate bars myself. Okay, what about traveling? If you could travel to anywhere in this world, money, no object, time, no object, where do you want to go visit? I'd go back to Vienna. I went to Vienna uh, earlier this year, and oh my God, was that a gorgeous city, and it was easy to get around, and it was full of amazing monuments, and you could pick a city, uh, a restaurant at random, and the food was just amazing and, and, and affordable too. So yeah, I, I want to go back to Vienna. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. What is that show, Mark? The travel show that with Richard? Travel Man. Travel Man. Travel Man. Yeah. Richard Iowate takes a comedian friend to a European city for 48 hours and they have oh, a wow. limited budget and they're hysterical. They literally. Yeah, it was one of my favorite episodes of that. Yes. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Very funny. Okay. So, um, Looking to the future, do you um, have other ideas that do you just focus on your one book series when you're doing it? Or do you write in kind of other areas as well? Well, I have I have uh, three or four ideas I'm pretty excited about, but this is taking an enormous amount of time to get right. Um, I am pouring all of my energy into it. I mean, I'm working nights on it. I'm working weekends on it. Uh, I get up early in the morning and I... I I'm not game playing. I'm loving it so much that I'm just thoroughly invested in it. So yeah, I will write down an occasional note on something else, but right now I'm just completely dedicated to bringing this thing to life the best way I can. Okay. Very, very cool. What about if you could be any sort of mythological creature, 
what would you be? Any sort of myth? Wow, that is an interesting question. Uh, I have those interesting questions. That's why I'm paid the big bucks. I'm not paid at all for this, but if I was, I'd be being paid the big bucks for these questions. Any kind of mythological creature. You know, I've never imagined being a different creature before. Um, I stretch the bounds of reality. Stretch the bounds of reality, yeah. Those other muscles working in the brain there. Okay, (laughs) well, maybe I just go back to an amberite, immortal and uh, fast healing and uh, super cool. There we go. All right. That's a mythological creature. Yeah. That was (laughs) cheating. We all know. Amberites cheat too, so it's okay. I see how it is. I see how it is. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Mark, do you have another one before I do the final one? All right. So you're a fan of you know the pulp basic pulp era, you know, uh, sword and sorcery guys. And we've got we've mentioned Farford and Great Mouser, we've mentioned Lankmar, we've mentioned Marcock, we've mentioned a lot of that. Uh, if you could write in any of those worlds. Besides Amber, which one would you? Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, I could probably uh, request to write in some of the Robert E. Howard worlds if I wanted. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in contact with many of the people who work there, and I bet if I wanted to do that, I really could. And I actually have uh, uh, an outline for a Conan novella. I'm, I'm really pleased with. But I'm so busy with what I'm doing. I'm so happy doing it. I just don't see myself pursuing that right now. It's not like I'm in ill health or that I'm that old, but I kind of feel like I need to pour all of my energy into my own stuff rather than going somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. So final question before shameless self-promotion. If you could have lunch with any author, living or dead, um, they'd be alive when you were having lunch because eating with a zombie could be awkward at times. <laughs> uh, uh, who would it be? Oh, wow. Oh, that would be a very tough choice. But I think I would have to settle on Harold Lamb. Yeah. Yeah, very- that guy. I I, uh, I spent so much time studying his work and bringing him to print. I've even had a couple of really cool dreams where I sat down and talked with him. Um, I think it would be fascinating to actually do that and talk story theory with the guy. And uh, yeah, that I'd have to do that. There's so many, I mean, I'd love to have, I would love to have hung out with Lee Brackett. Uh, She was amazing. I would have loved to have hung out with Lord Dunsany. I would have loved to have talked story with Robert E. Howard or Jack Vance. Um, But I think I'd have to go Harold Lamb. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Shameless self-promotion time. Where should people find you in your books? Well, my website is at howardandrewjones.com. I'm so busy writing. I don't update it too much. It's mostly just a place where you can see pictures of my books, but I have a long, um, I used to update it all the time back when publishers believed that you should constantly blog. So I have uh, lots and lots and lots of uh, how-to uh, writer techniques posts. So if you want to do writer how tos, you know, go wild. It's it's all fairly well indexed. Um, you can find my book at uh, it should it's in a lot of Barnes Noble shelves. And if your particular store doesn't have it, they can order it for you. Of course, Amazon. Of course, uh, Chapters is the same way. Uh, a lot of books, a millions have it. Some don't. If they don't, then just request it because it's in print. The first two are in print. 
Uh, and I think all of my St. Martin's books are in print as well. Um, not all bookstores are going to shelve them. You may have to ask for them. But again, the newest one's Lord of a Shattered Land, and its follow-up is already out. That's The City of Marble and Blood. You can also find me on Facebook at HowardAndrewJones.1, I think. And I don't know. People keep telling me I need to stay on Twitter, but I'm so tired of it. Um, so I'm occasionally on Twitter, but I, 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 I've never liked it, and I like it less now. I'm on Blue Sky, allegedly, but I keep forgetting to log on. <laughs> oh my god i love that howard thank you so much for being on this podcast with us i really appreciate it well i had a lot of fun thank you you're welcome okay this has been drinking with authors i've been your host erica lance don't forget to review like subscribe hit those buttons they mean the world to us because our ai overlords insist that that's how we're measured so even if you're sitting there liking us, they want you to hit buttons. Otherwise, it means nothing. Just kidding. No, I'm not kidding. It doesn't mean anything really, truly, in this world. Um, thank you, my co-host, Mark Muncy from Erie Travels. Thank you for being here. Oh, it was my pleasure. Uh, really an honor, Howard. Thanks so much uh, for uh, talking old school sci-fi with an old school sci-fi fan. So <laughs> It was a pleasure. Mark had he doesn't care that I'm here. He cares that you're here. That's oh yeah. Hi Erica. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to talk to you tomorrow. We're recording. We're going to talk about UFOs and Bigfoot in a couple of days, so we're good. Yeah, that's, and he's like Howard. Thank you so much. And I'm like, hello. I'm chopped liver today. Thank you. For <laughs> <laughs> but Howard Andrew Jones, thank you again. And um, for all you listeners, we'll see you next time. <laughs>